Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Breakpoint Podcast, starring myself, Marcus, and my main man, Frankie. Frankie, what's going on? Haven't talked to you in a while, but uh, it, it seems, well, what am I talking about? We talk literally every day. Um, US Open, wrapped up. We're so excited to talk about it. So many things to get through. Initial thoughts, give it to me. Yeah, I think my initial thoughts on this were a very successful U.S. Open for Breakpoint Podcast. thought we hit the lives pretty hard, did a lot of stories, interacted with all of you, which was awesome. So very, very happy about that, and we hope that you enjoyed that content, number one. Uh, number two, I would say, is the main storylines that we sort of predicted for this U.S. Open's definitely came true i think we both said that this would be the most wide open grand slam in our memory and it very much lived up to that for sure on top of that i would say that this was really the best u.s open in my memory in my opinion you know i don't i don't know i i just think that when i think about the storylines the atmosphere and what this tournament could potentially represent for the future i think Mm -hmm. that this really this tournament really has the potential to be like a transcendent moment in tennis history both on the men's and the women's side which i think is a really really unique thing could not agree more with that so many stories on the on the women's side with with Iga Swiatek battling through to win her third grand slam her first one outside of Roland Garros which is major for her since she hasn't had the best results uh on a hard court, um, Serena Williams playing at, amazing at age, 40, what is she, 41, 42 at this point. Uh, we spoke about it on the last pod. I think she'll be back. She played way too good not to be back. I think she really kind of realized that, that with a little bit more training, that she can still be in contention at least, uh, since the rest of the field is a little bit wobbly outside of Iga. And then on the men's side, I mean, we got the run from Francis Tiafo making it to the semifinals, taking out Rafa in the quarters, which was electric. Oh, sorry, in the round 16, he beat Rublev in the quarters, but still just absolutely electric, taking Carlos Alcaraz to five sets. And then we've got Carlos Alcaraz himself um, win- you know, winning the U.S. Open after back-to-back-to-back five-set matches, two of the latest finishes in U.S. Open history, Absolutely amazing. And then for me, Frank, the biggest storyline, Casper Ruud. Being going put on court, court 12, 12 in round one. In round one. Yes. Frank and I saw that. Uh, in case you didn't know, that is the most disrespectful scheduling we have ever seen in Grand Slam history. Uh, we would like to point that out. We love the U.S. Open, but at U.S. Open, that blew. Yeah. I mean, that was so unacceptable on so on so many levels levels. the guy literally just got to the final of roland garros and it's just like yeah screw you go to court 12 like what the hell same thing for on wasn't she on like court five like what what's going on like number five seed on court five i I get you gotta you know put the americans on like decent courts but there's a difference between that and like just sheer lunacy right and like the tour almost needs to step in a little bit here and sort of say to them, like, you know, we need you guys to make sure that you're putting guys like Casper Ruud and Yannick Sinner, like 
put them on good cords so that way people get to see them because that's good for the longevity of the game. And I think the fact that somebody like Sinner and and even Rude like only got Ash at the point at like from the quarterfinals onward is kind of a joke. Like that that's really bad scheduling on the part of the U.S. Open and from in my opinion and like. You really need to do a better job of this in the future. Like it's, it's very frustrating. And I have like other scheduling critiques of the U.S. Open. Like I thought that the matches were way too late, like out of control late, like bad for the players, bad for viewership. Just they got to fix this next year. They I'm have not, to. Move. I cannot watch a match at three o'clock in the morning on a weeknight, they, and they I want it. to, but I can't. They gotta move, and I was talking to a few people. They have to move the night session at least an hour earlier to six p.m. And I know TV rights, this and that. I don't care. You can't be sending these players out to play. You know, if a two hours women's two hour women's match happens, so that's nine o'clock, and then all of a sudden you gotta have a men's three out of five that goes until like two in the morning. I mean, that guy is at such a disadvantage. Nobody wants to stay up that late. You know, the guys themselves are going to be so tired. By the time they get to bed, it's like 6 a.m. They've lost a day, essentially. It's ridiculous for both the men and women at this tournament. They really need to bring it back an hour earlier. Even beyond that, just make sure you're strictly starting it on time. Like, for me, what was super frustrating, like, as a consumer, was I bought tickets to go on Monday night, Labor Day night, and I got, you know, a great roll of matches. I got Danielle Collins versus Sabalenka as the women's match, which I was pumped for. And I got Carlos Alcaraz versus Marin Cilic, which I was also really pumped for because I'd never seen Carlos in person. Unfortunately, you know, the match with Collins and Sapolenko ended up going like two and a half hours. They didn't start the matches until like 745, which for some reason is apparently when they're starting these matches, even though they're supposed to start at schedule at seven, right? Which is ridiculous. And like. I didn't get to see Carlos and Marin Cilic enter onto the court until 10.15. I got to see him for an hour and a half. I got like two sets in. And before I was just like, dude, I, I cannot stay out here past midnight. It's a freaking weeknight. Like, it's just not, you know, it's just not a good product. It's not fair for like the people who are paying money to like go to watch these matches. Yeah, it's not really fair for anyone. The players, the you know, even the people work in the event. I used to work there and I never had to do like the ultra, you know, like long night shift as in player operations. But man, there are people, locker room attendants, there are people who have to stay there until that final match and then they got to go home and then come back the next morning at like nine o'clock, eight o'clock in the morning. So yeah, US Open. You got to fix that scheduling. I mean, damn, Casper on court 12. That's just ridiculous. But you know, whatever casper i'm proud of you i know i've ripped you on this podcast but we love you now yeah no this is a casper rude pro pro casper rude podcast yes we have become 1000 percent. we love him we'll always defend him and i guess you know it wasn't going to be the first thing we talked about here on our list but while we're on it we'll get right into it with the runners up which was casper rude and on jabor very similar sort of storylines in both the men's and women's here like both for the winners and the runners up in this case, we'll start with the runners-up. Do you think that either of these players, Casper Ruud or Anjabor, will ever win a major? Because they've both had, you know, Anjabor definitely has had a better opportunity to win a major than Casper at this point, but they've both been to two major finals this year, and they both got pretty much got trounced <laughs> in each of them. Although I did think that Casper had moments in this U.S. Open final where he could have won. But, um, yeah, give me your thoughts. 
My answer is yes. If you can make it to a Grand Slam final on the reg, you can absolutely win one because then it's just a matter of winning that final match. And anything can happen in a Grand Slam final. We've seen, you know, Stan Wawrinka, who we never thought would probably win Grand Slams. He ended up winning three. So I'm not saying that Casper is going to win three, but we also didn't think Stan Wawrinka would be winning Grand Slam finals. But if you make it to the final, man, anything can happen. Uh, and that goes for either player. There's no difference to me. Um, making two slam finals in a year, that's called consistency for me. So, yes, absolutely. I think that they can both pull it off, uh, especially Casper, since he's a little bit younger. Yeah, I agree. I think that Ons actually is more concerning than Casper because I think Ons might have like some serious yips and some of these Grand Slam finals, like, yeah. I don't know what's going on, but, like, It she, took her a while to get warmed up there. Yeah, she's got, like, some serious mental hurdles to overcome, and I, I find that to be personally concerning. Um, I agree 100% with you on Casper Ruud. Casper Ruud will win a Grand Slam. It's a matter of when, not if. I don't know if it's going to come at the U.S. Open, or it'll come at Roland Garros, something like that, but... I think that Casper Ruud has shown everybody on this tour that he is a force to be reckoned with. He is not just some 250 sweeper, you know, player that you not know, us and, and other people <laughs> have accused him of in the past. Like, this is a legitimate guy. He's got a, a very strong forehand. He's got a really consistent backhand, certainly good enough. I think his serve is very well improved. His returning is legit. And I think fitness wise, I yeah. think he is the fittest player on tour by like, a, you know, a decent margin. Like, I think he is the fittest player on the tour right mm -hmm. there with Carlos and Novak and whoever else you want to put there. And I think mentality wise, also right up there. Very few people I would take over him. I, I love Casper Rude. Um, I've always said and Marcus has always said too, like, if there are players that prove us wrong, we're going to become their biggest fans. And Casper Ruud, for me, is one of those players. I did not think he would be this. And I am all for, you know, making him making me eat my words. Yeah, it's so funny what can happen within a couple of years time. When I was working at the Open uh, in 2018, which was four years ago, I watched him on court 15 against Jan Leonard Struff and just get absolutely pounded by him because Struff would just take every ball and just rip it for a winner. It was just a complete ass beating. And now four years later, Struff can't even qualify, and Rude's a finalist. So big shout-out to Casper Rude for not only improving his game in general, but really improving his hardcourt game because he was essentially a first-round bounce at the Open every single year. You could put as much money as you wanted against him. You would win. Uh, but now the guy has shown that he is legitimate on all surfaces. He's still got to prove himself on grass, but he's a legitimate hardcore threat now. Yeah, I, I mean, the improvement year over year from Casper in terms of majors is just astounding, right? I mean, I'll pull up, you know, his numbers here. I mean, he went from the U.S. Open going in the first round uh, in the second round in 2021 to being a finalist this year. That's insane. You know, like Casper Rude's record at majors last year was six and four. His record this year is 13 and three. That's cool. You know, improvement. Like, like that is 
like that's astounding that somebody is able to improve like that year over year and i just i just have zero doubt in my mind that this guy is going to continue to improve and find ways to win and you know i don't know if it'll be i don't i don't know if kasparud is ever going to be like the best hardcore player in the world or the best clay court player in the world or the best grass court player in the world. But I do know that Casper Root is never going to be outworked by anyone. And this guy's going to give his all a hundred percent of the time and mentally be in the moment and be ready. And that I think is something that is extraordinarily valuable. And as we've seen with some of the other top players at Stefano Sitsipas, it's really important. Yeah, and that's uh, you know let's let's talk a little bit about Carlos before we dig into those guys because we definitely have some things to say about them. But let's talk about our U.S. Open winners, uh, Iga Sviantek, Carlos Alcaraz, uh, Frankie. Let's start with Iga. You and I did not pick her to win the U.S. Open because we thought that her hardcourt game was not up to snuff. Uh, we've been proven wrong yet again on the Breakpoint podcast. She actually this- beyond beyond the hardcourt stuff, she had not really been playing that well going into this tournament that too ever significantly that was my main concern ever since her run through you know the sunshine double and the french open yeah has had not had the best summer thereafter but she is just such a workhorse so creative on tennis court just gets after it every single point does not let up and is just so consistent that she's just able to break girls down that match against sabalenka where she just kind of just somehow finagled her way through that win was so nice to see. I think, by the way, Sabalenka, a complete underachiever. I think that this girl should be winning Grand Slams, but that's for another story. I thought she, I thought Sabalenka won that match. Yeah. I, mean, Sabalenka, I mean, she had it in the I, I, She was dead. I, I thought Iga was dead in the water, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, but Iga, again, just somehow, man, just that, that, that's a champion's mindset when you can just figure out how to win, even when you're playing your worst. And that's what I love to see from Iga. Um, the final was, unfortunately, the first set and a half was kind of boring. Ons, unfortunately, didn't really play that well. I was kind of hoping a little bit more from her. But again, that's just because Iga also just rarely misses, just is so consistent, makes you really work for every point. So shout out to Iga, Frank. I, what are your thoughts on, on Iga and her performance here at the Open? Yeah, this is a monumental win for Iga. I think that she is really going to begin her reign of dominance on the tour. You know, she has just had an incredible season in spite of like the little quote unquote dip that she went through over the past few months here. And I think she's proven that she's going to be an all court threat on every single surface. I think you could also see that in like the ranking points difference between her and whoever's in second at this point now i actually don't i think it's anjabor actually is uh the second ranked player in the world after this but i think iga has like some sort of like 2000 point gap or something like that like 2000 plus points uh it's <laughs> jesus christ it's a 5000 point gap between iga sriantek and anjabor <laughs> which is just ridiculous jesus. like that sort of shows that she is a super super dominant player. She's fifty-seven and seven this year on tour, which is astounding. She's, and she's got seven titles. Twenty-one years old and already has three Grand Slam champions. And she's only played seventeen tournaments this year. And she's got over ten thousand points. Good lord! Yeah. And listen, you want to know what I love about Iga the most, dude? 
what I think makes her so, so incredible. Men or women's side, so incredible. Was that interview about her going to the bathroom? No, that was awesome, though, and I sent that everywhere. (laughs) No. This girl is the red polo shirt Tiger Woods on a Sunday at the Masters in finals. In finals, she is going to kill you. It doesn't matter who she's playing. I'm taking Iga. The girl doesn't drop a set. She goes for bagels. She goes for the kill. And in the same way that we criticize, or we, I criticized Anjabor for having the yips in finals, Iga has the opposite of the yips. And that, for me, completely showed through in that final at the U.S. Open. Iga was ready to go. She knew what she had to do. She knew what she had to do to win. And that was just it. That was the difference. And I've seen this happen over and over again on different surfaces against different players. Iga knows how to win in a final. She is not scared of that big moment. Championships mindset, man. Championship mindset. You know who else has a championship mindset, Frank? Carlos Alcaraz, man. Back to back to back. No time to be tired, baby. No time. No time. No time. No time to die. Uh, Wins back to back to back five set matches. Two of the latest starts in U.S. Open history. And then in the final is just, I mean, Frank, he wins the first set kind of, you know, they were kind of feeling each other out in my opinion. And then that second set, he, that second and third set, he looks like he ran into the wall on like mile 20 of a marathon and he just somehow kept sticking in it. He was getting visibly frustrated. And I thought that was a real opportunity for Casper to kind of take the match by the, by the horns there. He couldn't quite do it. Let it slip to a tiebreak. Carlos skeeched it out. And then I was like, oh, that's it. He's going to win this because he's just so much mentally stronger at this point, which is bizarre. You know what? The, you know what freaks me out the most, Frank, about Carlos is that he the way that he acts and that he behaves and that he carries himself. He's like, yeah, this is normal for me. Like, I belong here. Like, this is, you know, at 19 years old, this is this is how it should be. And I'm just like. Dude, you are a, a psychopath because he's so freaking good at tennis and it's just relentless. I mean, the speed, the conditioning, the the flexibility, the the, the just a pure raw power. His ability to come to net at 19 years old, Rafael Nadal did not have that at 19, nor did he have the serve that Carlos has. So we're seeing something like incredibly unique. Yeah. I mean, I can speak about Carlos for a long time here, but... The third set for me was the most impressive set of tennis that Carlos played this entire tournament. Not maybe not from like a you know level standpoint, Quality, yeah. but from a mentality standpoint, Carlos should not have won that set. He did not deserve to win that set. Casper Ruud deserved to win that set. Just to be perfectly clear, objectively, Casper Ruud should have won that set. Carlos won it because he is a champion. That is why he won that set. And also, another thing, Carlos won it in a tiebreak. Up until that point, Carlos Alcaraz was 0 for 4 in tiebreaks at the U.S. Open. And he managed to win the most important one. And I think that that speaks volumes as to this kid's mentality. The last thing that I'll say about Carlos Alcaraz is something that I told my girlfriend's father, shout out to Pierre, um, a few months ago. When I was in California and I made a basketball analogy to him, I said, you know, 40 years ago in basketball, we had Magic and Bird and Kareem. 
and people thought it's never going to get better than this. These are the best basketball players we're ever going to see. This is the peak. And up came Michael Jordan. I think Carlos Alcaraz might be Michael Jordan for tennis. I can't argue with that, dude. I mean, 19 years old, youngest num- world number one ever. Uh, I'm also just going to say this really quickly before you continue. Yeah. I think even if even if Novak is in that tournament, Carlos Alcaraz still wins. And I don't want anyone to give me some asterisk, you know, BS on this tournament. Carlos Alcaraz is a deserving champion of this tournament. Could not 100% more agree with that. Carlos is on another level and I'm just really really thankful that I got to see him on court 10 last year because I'm never going to be able to see him up close like that anymore he's locked in for stadium courts for his life but uh I just incredible just incredible I'm so excited for the future of tennis now that him and and Yannick and even Casper Rude that these guys are starting to come up it's it's great um Frank let's talk a little bit about uh, one of the more exciting storylines of the Open, besides you know Serena Williams, Carlos Iga, etc., uh, Francis Tiafo making it to uh, the semifinals, his first Slam semifinal appearance, taking out Rafael Nadal and Rublev en route. Uh, played an amazing tournament, almost beat Carlos Alcaraz. Had an amazing five-set match with him that had the New York crowd absolutely roaring. The guy came was to there. win the U.S. Open. Yep, Frankie was. Uh, in German, we would say for ought. That means he was right there. Um, and he he put on an incredible show. Frank, is this something that we're going to be seeing on a more regular basis? Or was this kind of, just kind of a lightning in the bottle situation where everything just kind of, you know, stars align type thing? Yeah. Um, I'll just get into the match first because I was there. That was the best match I've ever seen in person. Number one. Number two, that was like the greatest sporting event that I've probably ever been a part of like just like experience atmosphere wise like it was just unbelievable I also was like super lucky to get seats through my work that were right next to the president's box so I was literally like right next to Carlos uh right right behind Carlos Alcaraz for most of the match which was absolutely incredible to see and can't confirm this guy's even crazier in real life in terms of like the speed at which he moves and the pace of his balls, like just insane. Um, in terms of Francis Tiafo, I really genuinely have no idea. I, my, my honest opinion and tendency is to <laughs> lean towards it's lightning in a bottle. Um, but, Francis has like quietly had like kind of a nice year and had like a really nice little run up into the US Open. So part of me does think that like he has had some sort of mentality change that would lead him to be pretty successful and continue to be really successful. But, you know, I'm not entirely sure, to be honest. Um, everything skill set wise is there for uh tiafo to do really really well right like i think game wise he's got a really nice serve i think his volleys are much improved um you know from the baseline you know he's got a a really nice forehand i think the backhand could use a little bit of work but 
you know, speed, speed wise, fitness wise, like those are way better than what they were before. You know, I just don't know if he'll be able to really like continue going if it's at a place that's not the United States of America and he doesn't have the crowd behind him like that. I think that was like a super big deal in that match. I could tell you because I was there. He was feeding off the crowd and begging for them to help him out because he was dead in the water. Old tournament that really helped him. I don't know. It's my answer. I'm going to lead towards no, just because I I think mainly because of the fact that you mentioned that he had that crowd support and it's the U.S. Open and he got hot. Like, I don't don't know. I just don't really envision him at the – I don't envision him making like a semi-final run at like the Australian Open. Like I, I just don't see it because now you've got, I mean, geez, you've got Carlos. You now you've got Casper who's playing on a regularly good level. Um, you, you've got Rafa who's still clearly in contention for slams. You've got Novak, you know, Yannick Sinner who's looking for a breakthrough to a semi-final. Um, uh, I mean, a Medvedev, Sitsipas, Zverev, they're still kind of in. I mean, the the field is just getting so good. And for him to pop through like that again outside of the U.S., I don't really see it. He's kind of irrelevant on clay. Um, the Wimbledon, I could see him maybe doing some damage. But, yeah, I... I I don't know. Like the I don't. Issue, I don't ever see issue, him making a slam final, for example. Like I just yeah. Don't the see issue that, that you're talking about, right, is that when you think of clay, obviously there's a ton of players that are better than him that come to mind. When you think of grass, even like you just said, there's still a number of players that, for me, are substantially better than him. Yeah. Right, like uh, Novak. As long as he's still playing, obviously is the favorite. I think that Yannick Sinner has to be right there inter- after his performance at Wimbledon this year. Matteo. Matteo Berrettini is definitely right there. You know, it just it starts it's, to get really crowded. Carlos will inevitably get really good on grass, too. Like, yeah, you wait for it, it. It just gets really, really dicey for him. And unfortunately, I just... this The unfortunate thing for Francis Tiafo is... And I think he even knew it. This was his chance to win a major. And he knew it. Yep. And that's why he broke down so emotionally after that match, obviously, because it was in the U.S. and all that. But, yeah, he the problem is, Frank, that he's got to beat like he he can definitely beat one of those guys in a slam because he just did it like he beat Nadal. But in order to win a slam, you got to beat like two or three of those guys in your way. And I just don't. And I and I love him, and I think he's great for the game. And I think it would I was low key cheering for him, even though I really like Carlos, because I really wanted that story to be on even a bigger stage of him making the final and potentially winning it. And that'll be great for American tennis. But I just I just don't th- I just think the competition's just too thick these days. I mean, Jesus, it's getting deep. Yeah. Beyond that, I think a bunch of these guys that are in Francis Tiafo, Sitsipas. Zverev's age range sort of know like they got to start winning majors right now because I mean I mean they're kind of screwed now but yeah they're done I mean they they needed to win majors within this like past like year or two because I think they even can see that Yannick and Carlos are on another level 
in comparison to what they're at. And the thought of having to beat, you know, both of these guys to win a major potentially is just not a tenable thing. Um, you know, so I don't know. I just, I, I like, do I think that he could improve his ranking to be like top 15, maybe even top 10 in the world? Absolutely. Like, why not? Totally. You get like, I I've seen good improvement from him. Like, a hundred percent you know like i i really respect francis tiafo but do i think that the guy's gonna win a major i just don't can't i can't really see that happening as a possibility no me neither but you know francis keep fighting dude you're you're an amazing player and we we love you on the breakpoint podcast um frank let's talk a little bit about what we are looking forward to uh the rest of the season there's a little bit of a dead period um, we've got Labor Cup coming up in a few weeks, and then we've got kind of the fall ball going on until we hit some of the year-end uh, Masters tournaments, Shanghai, Paris, and then the year-end championships being held in, uh, I believe, Turin, Italy again. Um, what are we most excited about? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I would say that I'm looking forward to the next-gen stuff because that's always been really cool. Like, we got Yannick Sinner one year and Carlos Alcaraz one year, but... Unfortunately, I kind of uh, think those guys are, uh, they're ready now. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. they, don't really, they don't really need to be on that anymore. And uh, all the guys that are coming through that now are just simply not as good. Um, and when the number one player in the world is a 19-year-old, turns out next gen's not really that important anymore. So um, it, it, it did its job. It, it definitely did its, did its job. It did its job. You have to say it did its. It did do its job, and it was a great idea. And I'm happy they did it. And I hope they keep on doing it. Uh, Labor Cup without Fed. Truthfully, not interested. Swipe left. Oh, I did am... he? Uh, wait, did he? He uh, he canceled. He's not playing Labor Cup. I believe so. Yeah, I don't know if that's official or not, but I was seeing it on Twitter all over the place. Ooh, um, yeah, that would be boring. Uh, number two, I would say I am looking forward to Davis Cup. I enjoy Davis Cup quite a bit. Um, so it seems like a bunch of the players are pretty pumped up for it, including Carlos Alcaraz and Yannick Sinner and Matteo Berrettini. So I'm in. I'll watch. See what it's like. You never know. Hashtag um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a cool event. Why not? In terms of the rest of the season, going to be honest, kind of a snooze fest. <laughs> like, just i've never really gotten into the paris masters shank like shanghai i think is a joke i don't know i i just you know I, i'm basically just looking forward to world tour finals and then kind of enjoying the off season it's been a little bit of a grind for us over here at the breakpoint podcast <laughs> over it, the past it, few weeks it, it's very so true i think i think we're looking forward to some time off I think, uh, yeah, I mean, imagine how the players feel. But yeah, Frank and I have been potting super hard late nights, you know, just like constantly like, hey, can you do now? No, shoot. Can you do tomorrow? Ah! So it's been pretty nuts. Um, but the interesting part about the year end, Frank, is that that's a real opportunity for some players to kind of boost their ranking for next year's seating at the Australian Open. If you can snag a couple of good W's at the Shanghai and Paris Masters, grab a couple of good points there when everyone's kind of tired from the year end. Um, we've seen some people move up the rankings, get decent seedings at the Australian. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, and Yannick Center, please, please clean up. Please get See, some points. I, please get some points so that way you could be within like the top eight in the world. So A, you could be at World Tour Finals. And B, you don't have to play Carlos Alcaraz in the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open. I want to see this, that be a final, a final or at least a semis, please. 
if you folks couldn't tell, Frank has a you know sort of affection for for Yannick Sinner. Um, yeah, uh, Frank, I'm still waiting for you to wear that shirt, dude. Uh, the fact that I got to see him that Labor Day night after so for everyone who's wondering that night that I went on Monday um, was also the night that Yannick Sinner was in a bloody war. On Louis Armstrong Stadium against Ilya Ivashka. Totally unnecessary. <laughs> in front of in front of like fifty people on Armstrong at midnight. And sure enough, your boy was one of them in row three, right behind Yannick, telling him to let's go and Andiamo, baby. Let's <laughs> on the way out. <laughs> oh God, you just can't make this up. Oh man. Frank, I think we should I think we should end it right there. I think that's uh. a good stopping point. <laughs> um so folks, thank uh. you so much for listening. Per usual, follow us breakpoint podcast seven on Instagram, email breakpointpodcast seven at gmail.com. If you want to be on the pod, if you want to have uh you want to be a guest, you want to have any topic discussions that you want to be covered um by Frank and I during this little off season that's gonna be coming up for us. We would love to uh to hear your thoughts. Um and yeah, we're going to be posting a little bit more content, although we are going to take a, a little bit of a break now. Frank and I have been podding pretty hard last couple of weeks, and I think we both deserve that. Yeah, I think we might do like, I mean, I, I think going forward for the tennis season when it is off after World Tour Finals, before the Australian Open, we'll probably take that off like a, a nice month break. That'll be nice for us. We run out of stuff to talk about. Be a good little mental reset. Um, and outside of that, you know, We'll we'll uh, keep up the content for the Masters 1000s events and stuff like that. And, you know, I think we're going to have like a bigger sort of podcast probably on Yannick and, and Carlos again, because that is the story uh, of tennis right now. So we'll keep all that up. But uh, yeah, we're heading into the uh, dead time of year. It's a beautiful thing for us at Breakpoint Podcast. It's a beautiful thing. So, guys, thank you so much for listening. Keep tuning in, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening, everybody. Give us a follow on Twitter. Also, I'll try to be a little bit more active on there. Seemed like that was successful. So, and we hope you enjoyed the uh, Instagram lives. If you're interested in joining us for any of those, like for a match preview stuff like that, we'll we'll continue doing those if y'all are interested. Um, just give us a DM and uh, we'd love to do it. Otherwise, see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.